How cyber secure is your flight operation? From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. And certainly one of the most disturbing and ever-evolving challenges for our industry is the matter of cybersecurity and how to guard business aircraft and flight operations against potential attacks that can cause a lot of grief. Hackers can collect personal data from your employees and passengers, gain control of finances, disrupt your operations, and compromise or even destroy your IT infrastructure. So how can flight departments prepare for and defend themselves from such attacks? To answer that question, I'm joined today by two experts in aviation cybersecurity. Josh Wheeler is Senior Director of Entry into Service and Cybersecurity at SATCOM Direct, and Patrick Morrissey is a Technical Fellow in Product Cybersecurity for Collins Aerospace. Patrick, let's start things off with you. What are the top cybersecurity threats to business aviation? The biggest challenges and risks today actually live in the space of continuity of operations. Business aviation isn't different than the rest of the world in this space, right? There's a lot of computers and computing infrastructure that are necessary to keep operations running like fluidly and efficiently. And and we depend on those systems. And so when you have a Uh, a loss of a system or a set of systems due to a denial of service event or some other form of malware or ransomware, you can really take down the computing infrastructure that supports that whole ecosystem and its operation. And so I think that's probably the highest risk areas and the one that we see not just within aviation, but across many sectors. And we're not talking about just on the aircraft, right, Josh? This can affect the entire flight department. Absolutely. It's a whole ecosystem, and you really have to be cognizant and aware of, you know, first off, what passengers have with them. From my perspective, I, I see a lot of guests bringing devices on board that may or may not be compromised. So that's one thing that we do see. But yes, it extends over the, in, the entire landscape. You'll find with most malware, most end users that, are, you know, may have a tablet or a laptop, they, they really don't have an awareness that that's installed. It may have been installed for months running quietly in the background passively sending data to a command control server, something like that, and they will. They'll bring it on board. And most flight operations don't really, I'd say, you know, gate check you when you board, especially if, you know, you don't frequent the aircraft and kind of ask you if your antivirus is up to date. And from my perspective, that, that's what I see a lot of. I see these devices coming on board with without anyone knowing. And, and that does pose a risk because uh, some of these things can you know, propagate across any kind of a land segment, which is, you know, the aircraft is one large land. It's a local area network. So yeah, definitely an issue. How seriously can a compromised personal device affect the aircraft, Patrick? The aircraft and critical aircraft systems are not the same design as you find in common computing systems and common networks. While there is a, a network per se that supports data transmission between critical aircraft components, they don't use the same kind of protocols, the same kind of wires, the same kind of connectivity that we use in consumer devices. So it is important in this conversation to understand that there are strong barriers, strong technical barriers between what we consider flight critical systems in an aircraft and non-critical systems in the aircraft, uh, like passenger carried devices or even embedded in flight entertainment systems. A lot of the systems that you see on board the aircraft, even in the passenger entertainment space, 
they may receive data from GPS systems, other systems within the aircraft, but they're designed to be a receive-only device connected to receive-only wires. So if you've ever been in an airplane and you've seen your aircraft on a moving map display, that comes from GPS coordinates that are provided to the entertainment system, but those are sent over something we call a 429 bus that is unidirectional. So that system can only receive that data. It can't transmit data the other direction. So I think it's important in the context of, this in, of the discussion to understand that the, the technologies that are utilized for flight critical systems, what we consider avionic systems, are very, very different from consumer technologies that really are at a much, much higher risk for the kinds of attacks and threats that we see today. I would completely agree. That's one of the most common questions I get. Are people capable of hacking or penetrating uh, aircraft flight systems? And there is segregation between those two. Coming up, how to respond if you suspect your operation has experienced a cyber attack. But first, this quick message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with Patrick Morrissey and Josh Wheeler and our discussion about business aviation cybersecurity and how flight departments can address and mitigate this risk. Josh, what steps should a flight operation take after realizing they've been compromised or even if they only suspect a cyber attack or a data breach? That's always a challenge. Most breaches, if they are realized, it, it, it's much after the fact, so it probably didn't happen during that specific flight where you could assess the devices. But if you assess the threat and determine it happened on a specific leg or a specific trip with a specific passenger, you would definitely consult your corporation. So depending on the nature of the flight department, typically if it's an owner-operator type setup where what's a high net worth individual and it's their personal asset, but either way you should reach out to your your in-house IT. Chances are you do have an InfoSec team that could be made aware. Now, that's a challenge sometimes because a lot of the things that I see, InfoSec typically doesn't interact with the aircraft, the flight departments, um, that they keep it kind of a, like it's on an island. But reaching out to those folks, they are going to have the tools. They're going to have policies and procedures that are applied on a corporate level at any terrestrial network, and they're going to walk you through those steps. Josh makes a really good point because in the connectedness of part of a business, right, if you're in a bigger company, you may have a large ITDT organization who's very focused on the on the bigger operational computing infrastructure that they have to maintain. And then you'll have a little tiny flight department, right, that maintains two or three aircraft and scheduling for executives and things like that. Having people that are connected between these organizations is super important. And, you know, aircraft maintainers, people that do the maintenance, the operations around the aircraft are not typically ones who are necessarily affiliated with the DT organization. So creating some connectedness there and even doing, we often talk about something called tabletop exercises walking through the process, sitting around a table and have people walk through vocally the process of what if something happened with this device and have all the people at the table that would be stakeholders that you would want to contact or talk to that would support that discussion and be part of the 
process for remediating that issue. So, you know, having a DT representative there, having a risk assessment person there, having somebody from a communications department there who all might be important in resolving and managing that issue and walking through what does everybody do in these situations. Tabletop exercises, walking through your processes and procedures can be incredibly helpful in revealing where you have gaps in your processes and procedures, but also give you the thinking to walk through, how do I progress in this activity? And you learn a lot through it, quite frankly. So I think that's a great thing that you can couple with, you know, having that good connectedness between different parts of your business. Patrick, you and Josh work with many flight departments at large companies that already have information security departments in place that are familiar with these issues, even if the flight department isn't. But what steps can smaller business aviation flight departments take to protect their systems and their aircraft? Yeah, you really have to think of everybody in this space. For the smaller operators, you know, or or even an operation that supports a couple aircraft and doesn't have a significant staff, you know, how do you employ best practices, right, if you don't have somebody who's chiefly responsible for doing that? So when we're in that space, it's really important to start building a foundation for having some policies and procedures, somebody who takes ownership of it to ensure that you've defined some practices, some policies within your organization of how do you handle devices? How do you handle critical devices and identify what are your critical systems and devices in your operation that you cannot live without? By taking that first step, right, or those first few steps, you can start to build out processes that people can use because you'll have people come and go from those organizations and you're always training new people. You're trying to educate as you go and then trying to deploy those best practices into those enterprises because they're out there, they're published. Oftentimes, the harder part is getting people to embrace them and deploy them and execute them in their computing infrastructure than it is knowing of them. Josh, what are your thoughts? Training is paramount. This kind of goes hand in hand with what Patrick just mentioned, but I always ask the question, what do you do if you lose an engine during flight? What if a passenger has a heart attack, cardiac arrest? How do you deal and assess the situation and recover? It's training. There's a lot of organizations that can help with this. You know, there's government publications. So, you know, you're not inventing new content, but training, recurrent training and preparation is huge. I travel a lot with a lot of passengers on, on their aircraft, you know, setting up the networks for them. And there's low hanging fruit. There's Wi-Fi passwords on your networks. And most aircraft, still, it's shocking. They don't put passwords on their Wi-Fi network. A lot of these systems have root passwords and no one changes these passwords. So this is a good practice in a terrestrial network, but it can translate very easily on a corporate jet. Change your passwords, update your passwords, keep a password policy, apply firmware when you can. Um, It's called patching and hardening. So thankfully uh, they're not as uh, recurrent, the updates to these these flight systems, but make sure you're on top of your updates. Um, There could be a patch or a fix for something on your router. And then once again, um, if you do put a password, don't put something easy. There's often times I'm on an airplane and they say, do you need the password? And I look at the, the advertised Wi-Fi name and I go, no, I think I have it. And I'm able to get in. And, you know, there's an element of surprise. Like, how did you know? And I go, because you're like every other fill in the blank OEM. You, you left the base level password on your, on your Wi-Fi and you didn't change it. So just create some SOPs and then train and then train again. 
And don't just use the aircraft's ED number for a password. Or, you know, it, they get clever and it could be the, uh, the the tail number combined with the serial number, but that's low-hanging fruit and most people could probably figure that out. What about entities outside the organization that regularly interact with the aircraft and your flight operation? How should flight departments address cybersecurity concerns with their vendors or support providers? Whether it's a catering service or a medical service, try to get some information on how they protect your data. You can be the most secured flight department, but if a third party is handling your data, um, PII data, personally identifiable information, you kind of want to be aware of what they're doing to safeguard that data. So engaging the third-party vendors, the suppliers, the ISPs for your airplane, and then asking the questions. Do you offload your data? Do you encrypt your data at rest? Do you have a data center? Do you have any kind of a secured policy for data retention? These are questions you can ask. Audits are not uncommon. And a lot of the time, if we're, we're speaking about a corporate flight department, Vendors are audited on a daily basis that companies do business with. Um, these security questionnaires are fairly commonplace now. I know I've seen several just within SACCOM Direct. So asking the questions of these vendors on what they're doing to safeguard it is kind of a good start for you know just kicking off that conversation and then getting to know more information about what they're doing to protect you. Patrick, along similar lines, how should a flight department manage these concerns with their employees? Because again, everyone is bringing their smartphone with them to the office. It starts with having some policies and procedures that a that a company and any employee of that company can and, and will adhere to, right? And getting those out there and publicizing them and then educating those employees. Josh brought up the topic of training, right? And recurrent training, you know, they have uh, anti-phishing email training, you know, so that employees get regular training, just like we train in so many other topics in business, you know, cybersecurity and the role of the employee in supporting cybersecurity is something that it's useful to train on. And we know that that's evolving topics like phishing, phishing emails are getting better. If you talk about AI and open and chat GPT, computers are, are able to better emulate human communication, even across language barriers nowadays, as time goes on. And so we're going to see that continue to evolve and get stronger and better. And so the the best way to combat that is going to be through educating your people and making sure that they're a part and understand their role in that. But then beyond that, um, when you think about, you know, how people operate within the infrastructure, um, how do they use devices? How do they use personal devices? Are they allowed? Are they allowed on the network? Do they need to be in a separate network? Making sure that everybody understands that they have a role and can be invested in that process. So then looping back to the topic of working with vendors, I would echo the things that Josh said. I think it's really, really important to bring up this discussion. Don't don't be shy about it. Just because your you know your service provider, your vendor, your supplier isn't talking about it doesn't mean you shouldn't drive that conversation. Because if they don't have policies, practices, procedures, standards that they live by, operate by, that's a big gap and a big risk to you. And so asking for what they have, what they're providing. And if you're looking for vendors, bringing that into the negotiation, bringing that into the sales discussion so it's upfront and something you can evaluate as competitive between different suppliers or service providers, I think is incredibly important. You know, asking questions like, how are you going to notify me? And what level of delay will there be between you having an event 
or a breach that affects my systems or my operational availability until you notify me of that and what will be our response plan. Because even though it's a business relationship where you're somebody is selling a service, somebody's buying a service, you're a partner in delivering your own service and they become your partner in being successful. And so it's so incredibly important to build those relationships with your existing supply chain, existing vendors, as well as new ones that you want to bring on board. It sounds like how to deal with a cyber attack should also be a part of the flight department's emergency response plan. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought it up. You really do need an incident response plan. How do I respond when something happens, loss of a system, compromised password, breach of PII? How do we respond as an organization? And then have that as something that people can use as a go-to plan. And then going back to those tabletop exercises, walk that through, make sure it's clean, make sure everybody knows what the role is in that incident response plan. The biggest thing, as I talk to people, I talk to customers out there, I feel like we're often at a raise the bar moment. And we've kind of touched on it in many spaces throughout this conversation. But what I find is the parts of organizations that are tasked and charged with cybersecurity are getting quite good at it because everybody knows that they need to be. And that that focused energy goes into that part of the organization where there is the biggest risk. But that may not be flight operations, right? It may not be those supporting segments of the organization that are just responsible for the airplane and the passengers and the routes and the flight plan and fueling and all those things that support the aircraft and its operations. So Reaching into those parts of the organization, which may not be readily associated with IT or DT security, is really an important place to grow and go next to raise that bar of security across the entirety of the organization for a part of the business that is critical to the business function, but maybe not part central to the cybersecurity mission. One thing I always try to recommend with flight departments is, and it's it's honestly something straightforward, is designate a security champion. You know, find someone, maybe they're a little more tech savvy, but let someone be a conduit that can help raise the bars, you know, as Patrick mentioned, for the entire group. Have someone where you could lean on them, maybe collect policies, or they could help define SOPs, things like that. But if you have a kind of a single person to go to that can help with these conversations, they can either kick off the conversations or facilitate. It's just a good idea, you know, and it's it's something that I'm starting to see traction with within connectivity. More and more, you'll see a designated person who's kind of running point from a connectivity perspective. And, and I try to work with those folks. But just having someone you can kind of rely on internally that can kind of help drive these these things is, is, is helpful to do. And once again, you don't have to be a white hat hacker, anything like that. Just have a little knowledge and just kind of help drive those conversations. And for more tips regarding cyber attacks and other security concerns for business aviation, check out nbaa.org forward slash security. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Right, base, sending out 3500. Right, we got him inside. We're slowing back to 170.